I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing, the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind, and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know, the street nerd has got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Rant Room. Hello, and welcome to the Screenwriter's Rant Room, where we talk about entertainment, culture, uh, storytelling, and craft, and shit like that. I don't know if I got it exactly how Hilliard says it, but that's my take on what he says. Uh, This is Chris Kitt coming at you because Hilliard is out this week. He's up in Northern California filming his long gestating documentary. Uh, I guess I'll talk to him about that when he's back next week, and we'll get some more Get some more information on that. And Lisa is out once again. Um, I'm not sure when she's coming back. She will be back, but because we've been recording in person of late, she has opted not to be involved in those, which I fully understand. Fully, fully understand. Uh, because who really has been vaccinated? I don't know. I know I haven't heard it has, but but have our guests of late? That's a good question. And I was not thinking that people need to show me their vax card. And now because the Delta, there's no need to even do that. Got to have the mask. So might as well do it over Zoom again. But we'll see what happens next week. Okay, so um, what are we talking about today? Uh, first off, I just want to thank everyone for listening. Who's always been tuning in. You know, I've been loving seeing the metrics grow. Uh, the, and once again, you can support the show. Uh, through our Patreon link, which you can find at screenwritersrr.com. There's a big orange button that takes us to the Patreon page. Support the show like for $2 a month, $5 a month, $8 a month, what have you. Um, that would be really great. I want to give a shout out to new patron, Nicole Sylvester. Thank you for supporting the show. We love it. Also to Andrea Willis, to Rolando Herrera, Justina Ashley, Jerry Jerome, and Kip Clemens. You guys have been supporting the show of late, and that's very much appreciated. So, so what are we going to talk about today? Um, I guess, you know, it's been hard for me to be consistent because of the show I'm on. And that is something that I do want to talk about like a little more. Uh, but I think the main thing I want to talk about is Scarlett Johansson suing Disney and what this means for creatives. Uh, this is a huge, huge thing, you know, and she took a lot of, pre- I mean, she really had to, had to roll the dice. There's talk that like Emma Stone is going to roll, is going to file a lawsuit with her about the Corella. The big thing with Scarlett Johansson suing Disney for her $40 million and for the, uh, and if, from the, for messing up the contract or going against the contract. And there was that email that said that, you know, from Disney Business Affairs that we were going to sit down and talk about how we're going to do by changing the release strategy. This is why this is important for creative people. And this is why we actually want to have box office theaters work, not just go by streaming. There's no way to force the companies to say what the streaming is unless there's a big big lawsuit on what those actual numbers are and they don't want to pay that I'm sorry that's a Pandora's box they won't open because of it because it'll affect the residuals and the residual payments 
is where things get really dicey, where a lot of the money that that any project makes, even a, a something that's a failure, is still making money uh, somewhere because it's going to be, it might go on home video, it's going to go on the airplanes, it's going to go on all these places. And that metric is kind of based off of what the box office does because uh, you see that value and then you like, and, and then you ratchet down accordingly. If you have no, if you have no appreciation of what the numbers are or something, unless the company tells you with no transparency, um, then you're kind of in trouble. So, so, so like, why are you in trouble with that? It's very simple. Um, is, is the whole thing about net profits and and the Hollywood accounting thing and people who are involved in the project, they get points on the back end once a show like once a show or a movie kind of breaks even and gets into this its profit stages, right? Now the thing is is that to get into profit on a movie it's pretty hard. Uh, unless it's a you know unless there's a there's a big delta between uh, the, the 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 negative cost and how much it, the theater, I mean, how much the studio takes in from the box office because they because they have to give up a slice to the theaters. It's maybe like 30 to 50% of what the total box office tally is. So, so a movie that makes $300 million, the studio that um, made it might only get like like $150 million. If the movie costs $150 million, they're still in the red because they had to advertise it for maybe $50 million, right? So, you, you know, so... Um, but see, the thing is, is that like there's so those net profits that all actors get, directors, writers, you know, the crew people, key crew people, you know, different type of rights holders. This is something that they're going to get that gets constantly knocked away. Marketing costs, the, the cost of, you know, the, 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 the money interest to pay on stuff. There's a distribution fee. There's all these things. There's the guild money. So if you're in the guild, then you then then you put your hand in. If you're a writer, director, or an actor, then you get residuals from that that go in before the profit participants. You know that's how they can sit around and say that a movie makes like a half a billion dollars actually makes no money because the guild's got to get its money. Like it's not profiting any money; it's making money, but it's not profiting any money. Now, if you're a big writer, not even a big writer, uh, if you're a writer, star, big star, you can do this because I used to work at the, at the Warner Brothers Participations Department when I first came out here. Um, and it was fascinating to see the t- like how, how some of these deals work and how many how these checks are getting paid. But what but what Scarlett Johansson's thing is she's claiming that you owe me forty million dollars is they're looking at the cost. I mean the 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 perceived potential box office of, those, of, of like of a Marvel movie. And what you do in your contract is you ask for something called a box office bonus. So like if the box office hits a certain threshold, you get money, and that's top. Of the food chain money, that's before you know all this other. I mean, it well, it's negotiated where where, where it's going to be in the waterfall. The the you know is the waterfall is like is the revenue waterfall, and you know, like it's coming off the top in different places. There's going to be those you know those rocks sticking out that are causing like the the water to change and stuff like that. But that could be like the guild. That could be the the, the marketing money. That could be the distribution fee. That could be the interest on the money that it was used to pay for the movie. But depending on, on how powerful a star you are and how powerful, you know, and the and, and, and the property that's going out, you can say, hey, I want a certain amount of money. Like if it makes $20 million, I want a certain amount of money to kick this kick to me if I get, you know, if it makes $40 million. But if it's $100 million, you know, there's more money kicked to me. And and, and, and all the kind of players can, can get those kind of box office bumps. I'm sure that that was a 
big part of Scar was the deal because all those those actors outside of Robert Downey Jr. got some like you know some clamp down uh, payment. Like when they first signed on, they weren't allowed to get like a lot of money. Um, like 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 their typical fee was like was you know like Disney and Marvel kind of like no no we're not gonna give you that kind of money. I mean, if you remember, there was a whole thing about when when Avengers the first Avengers movie came out, something how like Robert Downey Jr. got like seventy million dollars because he got box office bumps and some other stuff, and the rest of the cast like just got their um, you know like their fees and and maybe a few other dollars, few other crumbs, but nothing huge, nothing really huge. So that's why. That's an important deal. The reason why this is an important deal is because as the movie studios look to destroy the theater experience, because corporate the corporate corporations don't value that because they have to divide up some of the revenue with the theaters, and they don't want to do that. Um, so they're pushing everything to streamers. That's why they, the strategies of Disney and Warner Brothers, or, you know, Paramount put stuff on the streamer platform so that you will buy the streamer and you won't know what the viewer, and, and then you won't know what the viewership is and therefore you won't get the royalty. So if you as a writer, and it's mainly, and think about this for writers, like there's always this discussion about oh, the green envelopes, the residual envelopes, that goes away or gets reduced down, whatever those checks are, if you have no idea how many people have seen your work. So by putting on the streamer and and the way they operate, there's no one who's fought this. Now, the, the Writers Guild could fight this. They fought the agents and won. They might have to fight the streamers and see what happens. Where it's like you open up the books and show us what the data is, who's watching what stuff. The problem is, is that that means that those companies will not be making any profits. All the profits they make, which they, you know, the revenue they make, the profits which they then turn into, you know, these huge shows they do and stuff like that. They're able to do that because they're not paying residuals. You know, like like the billions of dollars that would be typically be paid out to to writer residuals on those shows that if it was on a broadcast or model or something like that, you know, um, or syndication model, those aren't paid. You get so so the, so that's the fight. That's that's so what Scarlett's doing is kind of she's opening up the the door to have that fight with the streamers and the studios to show us as creatives what you want for. Um, the, you know the cost of stuff. Like, 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 how much is your work generating them? The thing you have to think about is that like technology is always killing art. Uh, there's a book out by um, William um, William Derecevich. I'll put this this link in the show notes, which I know the show notes have been very scant the last I don't know ten months since I've been on the show. Uh, my been on my TV show, but there's a book called "The Death of the Artist" by William uh, Derecevich. It's D E R uh, E, um, you know, like. Uh, S-E-I-W-I-C-Z is the way I say so. But like I said, there'll be a, uh, a, um, a, uh, um, a link in the show notes. Now, this book talks about how our technology, particularly the current, the last technology in the last 30, 40 years, 50 years, is like crippling the artists. Like you, th- you think, about, think about novelists, right? Like novelists, because of technology, because of Amazon, because of, of reading on digital stuff like that and, 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 the, and the loss of the royalty, 
which is this, and the royalties is like is it pays like your residual you know you the advances on books are down to like six thousand dollars how can you be a novelist and and get and and, and to earn like more than that so you can start seeing more money is super hard because technology has destroyed the it's destroyed the book business it hasn't destroyed books it's destroyed the book business if you look at technology it destroyed the music industry we still get music but the business of it with all that slush fund money and the million dollar videos and stuff like that and the ability for 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 artists to be cultivated like you you find someone and give them through the albums before they get big or something like that you know say i mean like that doesn't happen anymore because the money's gone the technology it's all been siphoned to the technology companies same thing here it happened look look take painters from the renaissance era up till the end of or the beginning of the 20th century you could make a living as a painter you could be awesome as a painter portraits all that kind of stuff like that so if photography comes around the, the painter doesn't have, he doesn't have much real value because he's interpreting what people want to see whereas the photographer whereas the photograph is kind of like recording exactly what it is yes you can alter it and everything like that but it but it but it, this brass version, it could give you a reasonably strong facsimile for the memory of something like that. Then the photographer gets destroyed because it goes from film to digital, you know, and now like everybody thinks they're a photographer. There's so much sloppy photography that, you know, this hard to even determine the value of what a photograph is. I mean, or, you know, just, or just, or, or even photographers can make money because it's too ubiquitous. It's been, it's been democratized by, uh, technology. So that's what the streamers are doing to, uh, so streaming technology. I mean, I'm sure you can look at like, like artist stuff across the board, you know, um, like people who used to sew, you have sewing machines, you have all this kind of crazy stuff. You can have these replicators soon. It's going to, so technology destroys the artist. That's what this book is about, Death of the Artist I was talking about. So it's, it's interesting to see what Scarlet's doing, what um, has been done by Emma Stone, or she's going to do it. I mean, obviously there was that Gerard Butler lawsuit where he's saying, Producers from uh, Olympus has fallen. They owe him ten million dollars. That's a different thing. That's just the way. That's just old school Hollywood accounting. And that's you know there's some streamer money in that too that he shall be owed. But the streamer thing and because I bring this because of the pandemic has is crippled how the it's it's crippling the type of movies that we'll see because there's you know the, the only people that that can put because you know, here's the thing if I make a movie I guess. I can't just put it out. I couldn't go rent theaters myself and put it out in the theater, which you could do, you know, like up into the pandemic. I got to go to a streamer. And a streamer might not want my movie. So how does my movie really get seen? And the reason why streamers are important is the way they curate stuff and they advertise. Same thing with motion picture studios. The Hollywood studios don't really make a lot of movies anymore. Maybe, what, eight, ten a year, maybe 12, but 400 come out. And, you know, so like those other like 350, someone's making those and has to has to convince the marketing people at these studios, hey, spend money on this so that so we can find an audience. So the audience be no, I'm sorry, the audience can be aware of this project. So that's where the thing that Scarlett's doing, where if you think that she's being crazy and she's wanting a lot of money, it's like she's fighting a fight that you and you, and you have to fight the big fight like that. I want 40 million dollars kind of thing. So that the writer can get like their money. Like, cause here's the thing about you know the generation that's growing up now, that's growing up on TikTok and stuff like that. They're not going to be interested in like narrative stories because 
that's just not how they're being socialized anymore. So it's, potential, it's possible that the career of a, in the entertainment industry and the writer is capped at uh, the whole thing is capped at maybe 10 or 15 years from now because the audience really won't be there to justify the cost of things. So you want your money as soon as possible up front. I mean, a friend of mine was telling me the other day that scripts on those broadcast shows, they're worth like quarter million dollars a piece. You know, you get $40,000 or so or maybe $40,000 to write it. But the residual payout and the way it's, it's, it's monetized and the royalties it earns around the world could, could turn out and pay you $250,000 over the life of that script that you wrote. And maybe you get two or three of those per year on a show that lasts like three, four, five years. That's good money. That's but 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 and that money will that money is not available to people who are working on streamer shows and everyone loves the streamer shows at least the audience does you know everything like that but it's not the best for the for the artist okay next thing I'm going to talk about is working on your own projects while on a TV staff you know I have found this kind of hard to do on my show you know there's a lot of work to be doing there's a lot of homework. Uh, and it's just like sometimes you come back and you're mentally drained. It's 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 different. It's like it's different than when you were, when I was working non-industry jobs, or you know, um, and even I would work creative jobs. Like I actually would work, you know, I'd say like say non-writing jobs. You know, I used to work at uh, advertising and used to make movie posters and things like that. That's a different type of creativity. It's a different way that your brain is being used to. Um, you know, so it's it's I hats off to people who are able to work on multiple projects while working on staff on a show. And I'm just the story editor. I'm not a co-producer, producer, super, you know, upper levels where there's a lot more responsibility, a lot more demands on my time, which means demands on my brain space. So, you know, I'm trying to figure out some ways to to increase that. You know, it might I'm not sure what it is in terms of like how do you um like wash away the 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 energy drain of the the creative energy drain of the day and then be able to then be creative again for maybe an hour or two at night. Uh, maybe just an hour, you know, um and just kind of make that a habit. But I gotta figure out what I need to do to get the the, the creative juices back. Um like why I'm on the show because it doesn't make sense um, I realize that to really be successful you can't uh, just be floating on the money and the job that you're on because it's going to end they all end um, and 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 it was over you actually want to already have momentum on something so two or three projects if you could get two going you know like the time that you're on staff or something like that that could be helpful for you which means, which goes into like, how do you do that? Um, to me, I'm like, hopefully these people are gonna be following the Patreon link more, so I can have some more money from that, so I can be okay when the um, went between jobs. But I'm just joking. But if you, but I do re- would love like all the people to go again to the screenwriters rr.com and follow the patreon link to support this show if you find this information helpful if you don't find this information helpful or at least interesting or worth your time then you know don't follow or support the show but but maybe you do i, I don't know we, we have a, a pretty decent sized audience but anyway i want to talk to you about like you know saying like to do the hour night after maybe like 
you know, it's hard. You know, you got to come home, you got to eat dinner, you got to take, you got to spend time with people that you love, and you got to like decompress. So, where do you find maybe that hour? Maybe it's in the morning. Maybe you do it in the morning. But it's all about like developing a habit to do that. And uh, I'm I'm reading a book right now called Atomic Habits by James Clear, and it's one of the most fascinating books that I've read. I'm, I'm always like I'm always you know like, and I haven't even been reading other stuff of late when I've been on the show. You know, I'm usually reading three or four books and stuff like that at once. I've that's all kind of like slowed to hell up. But um, what I find interesting is this guy. He talks about this one thing about how if you can find a way to get one percent better each day, and if you do that, then over the course of a year, you've been proved by thirty-seven percent. The thing is, is like you know that one that that incremental that 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 atom change, you don't see it until you know you've you invested a lot of time in it you know um this this is thinking he has the it's called the plateau of latent potential where it's like a line going up that's how you see it and it's like the the time that you're investing in it like like you're thinking it's going to be this this linear thing of change but it's really like it's really really low it's way below the line that you see way below for most of the time until being like this sharp sharp you know uh this explosion you know he mentioned this really great uh, analogy of the ice cube, right? About like, when is, you know, like, let's melt an ice cube. Now, if you put an ice cube out in a room that's at 25 degrees, and, it's, and so the ice cube is not going to melt, and you're trying to make that 1% change every day, you know, that's the investment of yourself. That's the, the, the that's you doing that. You, you find whatever you got to do to make that 1% change. You know, the temperature is going to go up. It's going to go up from 25 to 26 to 27 to 28 to 29 to 30, 31. And it's like, and it, and then and, and all that time, all the energy you're putting in, you're seeing no change. You're seeing no change. Ice Cube is, is, is looking exactly like it always has. Absolutely no change. But And, and, it, might, and it might take you six, nine months before, before you go from 25 to 31. But once you hit 32 degrees you start seeing the ice melt and it and, and it will melt quickly and it's like and it becomes and, and that's you becoming an overnight success everyone's going to ask you but you just spend all that time investing in yourself and that's where i look at trying to find like another habit a different habit you know and and that's why it's hard to create new habits or to break old ones it's like okay how do you the change is incremental. It's so incremental and you see it. You know, it's like if you go to the gym, it's like if you go to the gym for like two weeks, you go, fuck, there's a lot of time I spend. I'm sore. I'm eating all this food and I'm eating protein, blah, blah, blah. And I'm really not seeing any change. It takes longer than that. You gotta, you, have, you have already go to six, eight, nine, two, like ten, like six, eight, nine weeks before you start to see some true change. Um, you know, that's appreciable from your eye because you are looking at yourself every day. And so your body, so your eye is getting close, is getting accustomed to seeing like whatever incremental change there is so i kind of the best way to determine if you're getting in shape is to take the photographs or anything you know but i'm thinking about this, like what's the way to do this to find the new habit to um uh, uh improve my, to create my writing there's also this great thing that he talks about in the book is about like you know like the difference between like goals and like and fundamental change you know it's like that's why you, we always talk about goals and you know and plans and stuff like that and the thing that that and and james clear talks about something fascinating about that how he's kind of like you can't think in goals you got to think about 
how you're, you know, what's the changes you actually want? You know, what is the change that you want? And you got to change your lifestyle accordingly. You know, I don't, you know, like, like the goal is I want to be on a TV show. You know, that can't be your goal. You know, uh, you know, like, like, like the goal has to be, because once you get that, you might fall into some other, there's all these other things that conspire, could conspire against you. And then where are you? So it's a really question of like, like my goal is to be, you know, so, so, so my plan is to be, I got to be a consistent, strong writer. You know, that's like a more specific goal in a way where it's like, you know what, I can measure that. You know, there's a, a different way of, of, of looking at this, of like not, it's about like, you know, I want to, to, to lose some weight. I want to gain some weight. And you have to change how you're thinking. Because one of the things that I, I you know, I, I get the James Clear uh, newsletter, and I'll, maybe I'll put the link in the show notes. I've been getting that for like a year, and I've been wanting to read the book. I just haven't had the time. But there was a quote that he, because his newsletter, he's like, it's like James, just James Clear one two three. Where he's got, he's got like, he's got like three quotes. He's got, he's got two, uh, he's got uh, two observations, and he's got a question. And he had something that was interesting, where he was like, you know, uh, for a, a quote, he was like, you know, I guess it's from his book too, but it's like. You know, a habit is, let me put this back. A good habit is a vote of confidence that you're going in the right direction of, you know, like of the, of, of places you want to, that you're on the right trajectory. That That is your investment in to yourself. You know, it's, it's like, this is a vote on how to be like the new you. Cause it's all about trying to be the new you. You're always looking to be the new you, you know, uh, those, again, those incremental improvements. So that's the something that's interesting that I, I, I want to share with you guys from James Clear's Atomic Habits. I will put a link for the book in the show notes. Um, as well as for this newsletter. If you just want the newsletter, you don't need to buy the book. You can just, you know, you might want to, you might eventually decide to buy the book by listening to the, by reading the newsletter every week. It comes out like every Thursday. Um, so that's it. And what, what else is coming on? Uh, what else am I talking about today? Oh, trailers. The Dune trailer came out recently and there was a, and there was a new Shang-Chi uh, trailer. I didn't want to watch either of these. I saw the initial Dune and I saw the initial Shang-Chi. I was like, I'm done. I don't want to watch anymore. But someone convinced me to watch the the latest Dune trailer. And it looks amazing. It actually looks amazing. But it underscores what I always say, the problem with trailers. Is that the, 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 the way the audience is now, these kids that don't, they get all their enjoyment from the fast dopamine rush from, from watching like a TikTok video, two minute, 30 second, whatever it is. When you show them like a three minute trailer, two and a half minute trailer with every cool moment in the trailer is literally like every cool moment is in the movie and Dune is in the trailer. I don't see how that's not possible. Um, it's just so much. Um, it, uh, it, it makes it, it, it makes the, 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 it makes the moments of the movie where you're, you know, uh, that this is what the movie's, the, this is what the movie means, this is what the movie is, is dramatizing, this is what the movie's trying to say, those become like very, like those become like these, you know, 
they become slogs. They become these these unwieldy moments of people just posturing and talking because you've conditioned people to like get all their dopamine hit from the trailer. And there's there's nothing left. There's nothing left to surprise them once they watch the trailer. That's the thing about watching trailers. You know, if you have like a reasonably strong memory, you'll remember every moment you saw in the trailer. So when you're watching the movie. And you haven't seen like certain trailer moments yet, then you know. Then you're way ahead of the story. You're not in the moment of the story. You're ahead of the story, and you're kind of waiting for it to end because you kind of know how it's going to end anyway. Just because of the way you know stories are constructed, they're not designed to surprise you at the end. They're designed to make the journey be something fascinating. And the journey becomes unwieldy if I know all this, the emotional spike points based upon the visual. You know, like pornography of these films, like Shang Chi and Dune and stuff like that. And usually, it's really easy to make that stuff look cool, and super hard to make the other stuff like be interesting at all. Anyway, that's my problem with trailers. I talked about how I don't watch trailers really at all. I can't even remember the last time I've seen a trailer. I mean, even when I go to the movies, I kind of like check out when the trailers are playing. Uh, I used to love it, but then they just started like showing so much information in the trailers, and I'm just—I remember initially the one that really took me off the most was the movie called Eraser a long time ago with um, Eraser and Alien Four. I think those came out around the same time, but there was stuff in the Eraser trailer that wasn't even in the movie, and I was like, "What the fuck is this?" I remember seeing this, thinking, "I want to see this scene. I want to see that. Look like a cool scene. But what's going to happen there? What was the, the 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 resolution of a scene that I saw in the trailer, and the, and and that never occurred in the movie. I thought that was fascinating. Um, and then uh, in Alien Four, something I saw in the trailer that made me go. Oh, okay. So here's um, here's one on a rider at a at a stage in the movie with some stuff. You know, it's a bad. You know, all the crazy just going on. And in the movie, when she gets killed, I was like, wait, 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 wait. I I remember seeing a scene in my head. It's cataloged real fast. I remember seeing a scene that hasn't happened yet where she's still alive. So I was like, oh, she. So this death. Her death is fake. And then I and then I knew that she was um she was the robot. In that ahead of time, and so that moment when she came back didn't have any value to me. It was just all the other time was wasted drama. So that's why I have a problem with trailers. Uh, last thing I'm going to talk about is, um, I guess the one thing I have been doing of late. Um, this is just a selfish plug. Uh, I've been working with a screenwriter buddy of mine on a new podcast. I think we're going to launch it in like. Maybe uh, maybe August, maybe August, late August or at least September. It's um, it's about comics, solely about comics. Uh, nothing about movies really at all. I mean, like you know, like there'll be movies talk, but it's really about specific comics from a specific um, time period. Um, and I'm very excited for it. I will be talking about that more as we get in to be closer to the release date because I'll be having to publicize it here as well. But it's been exciting to work on that. It's just like exciting, to, just like I'm excited to do uh, this podcast every week and I get a chance to do it. Is that 
it's a chance to be passionate about something that I to talk about something that I'm passionate about. And that is what I like about just the rant room, talking to you guys about what I'm interested in, you know, that I, because I'm, you know, I'm not, not, it's not that I'm just what I'm interested in. So what I'm passionate about in terms of what could make stories better, what, what can make our life better. You know, I mentioned it earlier about the TikTok generation, not, not gonna, it's gonna be a post narrative generation. You know, the problem with that is, you know, stories help inform us about life. Uh, you know how it's like there's a whole point of telling stories you know back in the campfire hey don't go you know to, to that edge of the forest there's a lion den there that's why so and so didn't come back with me because he got killed that's the story you know that I'm telling you so after the facts so you don't have to experience it it's also the telling stories is so that you are going to experience things in your life that you're not going to believe that anyone else is experienced, that you think oh, oh, your experience is singular. And it's going to be hard for you to articulate something that happens because you think it's so singular. I mean, that's one of the things with so many, like, these people who've been uh, victimized by the church and things like that. So many stories people think in their life, the trauma in their life, they think is singular. And then when someone puts it in a book, puts it on TV, puts it in a movie, puts it in a poem, in a short story, like whatever it is, that links you. That is where our humanity continues to grow when we are able to share an experience and someone else sees us because we have a shared, there's a shared commonality. And being isolated by the pandemic or by digital screens or watching things that, you know, like there's a false interactivity watching anybody on TikTok. Um, you know, or just just all these things that are these this again the technology is you know it's really a question about like how is like how are we going to shift all of us not just entertainment people but all of us as the technology accelerates and alters the human experience you know for a very very long time you know like like you could understand humanity you could read a story from, you know, the time of, I don't know, of Marcus Aurelius in The Roman Emperor. And it could resonate with us now because we because humanity is pretty much unchanged because technology hasn't isolated us and, and asked us to, to, to live in a weird bubble. Like it's, and the thing is, it's, like it's kind of why you see those confessional stories they always kind of go viral because someone's telling their truth. And the thing about the thing about like telling your truth is because that's a story. Um, other people recognize it as it's very similar to their truth because you know we don't live in a vacuum. You know the history repeats itself. Like people do the same things to each other over and over again. Humanity treats other man terribly. Like that was the. Um, there's a, there's a show that Hillier was going to be on called Grindel. It's based on a comic book. And that was like the cool premise of that. Also the premise of kind of like a Stanley Kubrick's movies, you know, of like how inhumane, you know, like can people be to each other? But that gets elevated and gets normalized by technology or the rise of the current social media and technology. But anyway, that's all I wanted to say for this week. Um, if you have any questions, it is screenwritersrantroom at gmail.com. 
that you know and we'll answer like whatever you got to say I whatever it is yeah you know but and there's a website you can go to to support the show which is screenwritersrr.com um you know both Jordan and I would really really appreciate it uh, we're trying to get the website redone we're trying to move it over to Squarespace so it's just it's easier to maintain and to update and and set up everything and make sure the store works and all that stuff that's just coming soon it's I know we've been saying that for the last few months but it's just a time thing and and there's not enough money to pay someone to redo it so I'll be doing that again um, but anyway I hope you guys like this episode please let Hilliard know at screenwriters are at screenwritersrantroom.com sorry screenwritersrantroom at gmail.com with questions comments feedback things you want to see questions you would have like like not things you want to see but but stuff you want to like topics that you want us to discuss you know like hit us up with that uh it's not be interesting to do some more episodes like that as opposed to doing interviews i i think the interviews are fine but a lot of times i think a lot of people like love to talk about craft and um it's important. It's very, very important. Um, it's like a lot of things that like I've learned about cr- the craft of being a screenwriter, not necessarily screenwriting, but being a screenwriter, a TV writer. Like, like what do you got to do to be successful in that? That I think we could talk about. Um, okay, that's it, everyone. Thanks for listening, and I will see you next week with Hilliard and maybe Lisa. I'ma say what I feel. And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Well, you gotta be a rider Till your fears are diminishing The doubts are behind ya It's hard to grind And the business got me stressed In the rent room We let that shit up off our chest You know the street nerd Has got no time for no caca Sass in class Yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja Never have to guess When you're listening to Hilliard He gon' bring more game Than a shark playing billiards It's all about the crap of screenwriting It's exciting when you turn an outline Into something enlightening Your pen and words Are like bullets in a gun Write what you feel Say what you want Welcome to the Red Room. Red Room. Red Room.